This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Hello, I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. I mentioned in a recent show that uh, last month I was uh, in New York City attending a conference at the Council on Foreign Relations and that it dealt with religion, foreign policy, and diplomacy. And we had several things that we talked about. There were several panels and discussions and workshops And we talked about, oh, four different things. We talked about the refugee crisis. We talked about uh, the democratization of sub-Saharan Africa. And we talked about the migration issue, the uh, Syrian immigrants who were coming in. We talked about the election and how religion is being portrayed by the media and how religion is being expressed in this election. And I thought to myself, you know, that is a great, that is a great subject to have a conversation on. And whom would I like to have a conversation on that subject with? And I didn't have to think too long. Charlie Honey, of course. I'm sure a lot of you know Charlie Honey as being the former editor and columnist in the religion section for the Grand Rapids Press. And uh, Charlie now is in a new incarnation. He works for the Kent Intermediate School District. And But still, he's got his fingers in the pie of faith here in West Michigan. He's very active at the Kaufman Interfaith Institute and uh, was one of, the, uh, uh, one of the main participants in putting together uh, 2012, the Year of Interfaith Understanding, and 2015, the Year of Interfaith Service. And I just like to talk to, to to Charlie on occasion. So welcome to Common Threads, Charlie Honey. Thanks, Fred. It's nice to be here again. And um, I'm assuming and hoping we'll work the Beatles into this conversation at some point. We always do. <laughs> you just did. <laughs> true enough. I blew it all right away. <laughs> That's true. We should say we are we are two of the elect. We are going to see Paul McCartney. That's, that's, and that is my most exciting religious event of the year by far. It, I'll it, tell it you. might be mine as well. Yeah, I know that. That's uh, we're we're uh, we're waiting with bated breath for for the Mecca. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, let's first of all, this is I believe your first time on Common Threads post Grand Rapids Press. Am I correct? I th- I... It may be uh, because I continued to work as a freelance columnist. Up yes. through 2014, so... Very possible. Very possible, very po- yeah. So, So what is life like now that you, you, have, you don't have that soapbox to write about religion and, and to connect with the various religious communities here in Grand Rapids? Right. Well, you know, um, I have another venue that I'm writing for. It's called School News Network, and that kind of goes back to my roots because I started out very early on in my journalism career as uh, covering schools, public schools, universities, and education issues generally. And so it was, it was a nice opportunity to get back into that world. And what I do and a team of other uh, five other reporters do is go into schools, Kent, uh, public schools in Kent County, and we write about what's happening there. And uh, 
teachers trying new things and uh, students and their issues, the things that they bring into the classroom with them, the problems they bring, challenges. And one of those, for, for instance, uh, we focused on this year was uh, refugee students. Uh, I just did a story on a, a, a graduate of Union High School who was from Iraq, and he was just about the happiest person uh, on the face of the earth on graduation night. It meant so much to him. And um, so those are real gratifying stories to, to write about, students overcoming those kinds of challenges and just the stuff they deal with in order to what, do. What do you see in terms of acceptance of diversity here in the uh, Kent County system? For instance, you mentioned this gentleman from Iraq. Mm-hmm. Did he have any baggage that he had to overcome with students and even possibly teachers, the fact that he was from Iraq, mm-hmm. I mean, was he was he was he viewed with suspicion? Yeah. Was he bullied? Was he mocked? Anything like that? No, in fact, quite the opposite. He 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 actually didn't like school in Iraq. He dropped out of high school. Uh, he disliked it so much. He loved it here. He thought the teachers were extremely nice, extremely helpful. He thought the students were very nice. The students here didn't make fun of how tall he was. He's six five. In fact, they're like, dude, come play basketball with us. He's like, okay. And, uh, yeah, he, he liked his school experience a lot. He did go to an alternative program. And uh, at Union High School, they have a uh, program set up for immigrant students where you take about a year to learn the language and some other basics of your education. And they sort of provides a launching pad. And, um, no, he had a great school experience. And, and uh, he was so proud the night of his graduation. Uh, his family was so proud of him. And, it was a great story, a way to tell a story about, you know, so many of these immigrant students, their families, you know, they, they want to be more American than we do. They, they sure. wanted to be here so badly, and they're so grateful for the chance to be in America and uh, spend far more time praising America than we do complaining about it. Uh, that, that is, it seems that it has always been the case when, when, when mm-hmm. people come from countries that don't have our freedoms, don't have our opportunities— yeah, yeah, they they appreciate it in a way that people who are born into it just can't. Right, you don't know what to compare it to. And we've written about kids who uh, rode on the so-called death train from Mexico, escaping the gangs and the violence down there, and <clears throat> you know, literally riding on top of a train to get into the United States and have the chance to get a high school diploma, which to them is like a piece of gold. Sure, so it's a very rich and rewarding. Uh, but I, as you said, I stay involved with the interfaith community. Right. Do, do you have any challenges with people still thinking that you wear that hat of of a religion writer for the Grand Rapids Press, still saying, "Well, well, Charlie, I need this to be done." Well, yeah, I, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I mean, does that does that happen? Um, more often, it's like, "Do you still write for the Press M Live?" Um, or how is retirement? To which I say, "Well, I'll let you know when I get there." <laughs> So it's more that people don't really know what I'm doing now uh, unless they are following School News Network. Um, but, um, yeah, for a lot of people, they're just sort of like mystified, like, oh, okay, what are you doing? You know? Right. And, uh, right. I can tell them many, many things that I'm doing. And um, You're running to people who are subscribers to the Grand Rapids Press and still think you're there. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. <laughs> well, find, first find a, a subscriber to the Grand Rapids Press. Well, yeah. Oops, I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm a subscriber to the Grand Rapids no Press. No comment. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's get uh, to what I actually asked you here for. I mentioned at the Council of Foreign Relations there were several different subjects that we we dealt with, and one of them was the media 
and the, the media and the election and religion. And uh, I thought that it would be a great conversation. So as someone who has followed <sighs> presidential campaigns and has followed the religion element of presidential campaigns, what, what's your first thought? And, and, and let's, let's go all the way back to the primary process mm. in this, because mm-hmm. certainly you had several people who, well, you, my God, you had a whole trainload of people <laughs> up there, and sometimes it mm-hmm. seemed like they were trying to out-religion the other. So, so going back over the last year, what what are your thoughts? I know you're shaking your head back. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, you know, when when you asked me to to come on the show with you, I started thinking about this, and um, I, I mean, a couple things in terms of the how the media treats it or has treated it. You know, unfortunately, I think when when the media talks about the religious influence on politics or on the election, they tend to be talking about uh, they tend to be talking about the religious right. You know. Um, Evangelical, yes, evangel- conservative evangelical Christianity. And that's sort of like who's going to get the evangelical vote because it was very important to people like George W. Bush. And um, they don't, as you and I know, there's a much broader palette of religious influence on how people think and vote, and they don't tend to get to that very often, I don't think. Um, I mean, it's there, but you have to look for it. But, you know, Fred, I'm, I'm struck by... Um, uh, it seems to me that religion, in that sort of narrower sense, is not. I don't see it being that much of a factor right now. Um, the factors are, are fear and anger, and a sense of in, you know economic injustice. And in whatever ways the so-called religious vote lines up with that, I think it has more to do with those issues than to do with particularly you know religious issues. It's interesting. Well. Some people would say that economic injustice is a religious issue. Mm. But here's here's what I think is the difference. A lot of people are guided by their spiritual and religious principles to vote in a manner that would encourage economic equality for the other. Mm -hmm. People who are very comfortable in the lives that they lead they look around them and they see what they consider yeah. economic injustice. Yeah. Right. And they want to, rightly or wrongly, in terms of whether it gets the job done or not, they want to cast their yeah. vote in a manner that they hope will remedy that situation. Right. A lot of people who are voting today, I believe, are looking at the economic injustice they claim they are suffering. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. That they right, have gotten right. the short end of the stick, and that that economic injustice has been caused, at least in part, and maybe significantly in their mind, by the other, whomever yeah. the other is. Yeah, yeah, and and right, and and also a lot of those people, the people who feel victimized, marginalized, with a lot of good reason, by the way, uh, from my point of view, but. Um, aren't particularly religious. You know, um, there was a recent study that, you know, uh, working-class white males are not as religiously um, active or, or, or observant as they once were uh, in this country. And um, I think there's this whole 
broad segment of just sort of angry white people that whether they're religious or not, they're looking, like you say, they're looking at it in terms of how what's happened to me, you know, uh, I've been... Yes, yeah, ex- exactly. That that isn't when you look at the other and see injustice. That might come from a religious standpoint, but when you say, "Hey, I've been working my whole adult life. I've never made more than twelve dollars an hour. Something's wrong, or I'm laid off. Something's mm-hmm. wrong." That that's not a religious point of view. Most most of the time, I would I would and venture. and the people that are being appealed to uh, for. For instance, by Sanders on one hand, he's 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 not a very religious person. Uh, he's he's Jewish by birth and by culture, but he's not by his own admission he's not terribly religious. And then you have Donald Trump appealing to that group from the right, who, who seems to be just as religious as Bernie Sanders. Yeah, <laughs> who says he's very religious yeah. and he says he collects a lot of Bibles and he never throws them away because he'd be afraid to. Uh, he eats his cracker. Yeah, so I was just doing a little look research on on him, and they were asking him how much he goes to church, and he said, "Well, as much as I can, um, always on Christmas, always on Easter, always when there's a major occasion, and during the Sundays." <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm during a Sunday church person. Yeah, during the Sundays I go. So you know, he seems to go a lot, although I haven't <laughs> seen him a lot, but. <laughs> So he's such a wild card kind of goofball candidate in, in so many ways. He, he's not certainly the classic um, person who would appeal to an evangelical voter. But he has. Um, That's the well, he has in, in, in a, to, to a degree. So, you know, Ted Cruz was a pastor's son. There was mm-hmm. obvious religious, you know, appeal there to conservative Christians. Um, and um, Ben Carson, uh, you know, a very, yeah, very religious, religious person. Mike Huckabee. Yeah. Um, Jeb Bush. So you you did have more of those traditional religious kinds of ca- people with those religious profiles, but Trump is is just sort of a self-made brand, and he changes it every day, and, and depending on what group he's talking to. So I don't see sort of a natural base for him there, although many people are voting for him. But I think that's more to do with these other issues— Sure. That don't have anything particularly to do with uh, the Christian faith. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads here on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella. Charlie Honey is my guest today, and we're talking about religion and the election. You know, what's interesting, too, is I have heard from people uh, from people in the secular world, in the, in the mm-hmm. non-religious world, mm-hmm. who have wanted to out Bernie— as an atheist oh, or an agnostic, okay. it's like you know to say to somebody, "I'm not religious." Well, that can mean a gazillion things. Mm-hmm. It can mean you go to church on Christmas and Easter, and it can also mean that you don't believe in God. And during the Sundays, yeah, and during the Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> you know that just that that sound that that such a classic answer. It sounds like he's going through his head. Going okay. Yeah. What do I say to this? Well, okay, maybe Christmas Easter oh, 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 uh-huh. and all the important. I don't know what. <laughs> and let's not forget Sunday. <laughs> yeah, that right. Oh yeah, I better say something during this during the Sundays. <laughs> um, but but uh, so there has been this this conversation amidst the the secularist uh, community saying, hmm. Bernie, hmm. just come on right out and say it. We yeah. need we need an atheist running for for uh, uh, president. 
on the Democratic ticket. Mm -hmm. And he has sidestepped some questions on his personal religion. However, I did see in a Rolling Stone interview, somebody just flat out asked him, do you believe in God? And he said, yes. He said, yes. Mm. And then moved this conversation entirely Mm -hmm. like that is something he doesn't want to talk about, Mm -hmm. but he identified himself as acknowledging some higher power that some people might call God. Yes, I believe in God, but you know what? Let's talk about Wall Street. Exactly. <laughs> that was that was it. That was it. Like, like I, I don't want to spend too much time on here. Don't ask me to define well, God. Don't ask me to, to yeah. tell me if I, ask me if I pray or anything like that. Just, yeah. yeah I, so, and, and the way, the ways that, that God can be defined, of course, you, you could think of God as, you know, the collective goodwill of all humanity and you can call that god mm-hmm. so so i have no idea what what he was saying but certainly isn't it refreshing to see somebody up there on a stump talking about things that matter mm-hmm. and not playing the god card mm-hmm. not appealing to that that sentimentality that right. that so many people do that, that that has become such a um um What's the word? It's trite. Mm-hmm. I, in my opinion, it's trite and it's cliche. Well, and it's pandering. It's like saying, yes. I just need to see some, say some magic words here and then I'll satisfy people that, you know, I'm a good, faithful person. And, um, you know, then you get somebody like uh, Hillary Clinton, who, who to me is the most religious candidate in this race by far, a lifelong United Methodist, um, comes out of the social gospel movement, um, you know, grew up in Chicago and, and was very active in her youth group, went to inner city Chicago on youth exchanges. So much, so much of her, her political, the shaping of her political values and philosophy came out of her experience as a United Methodist. She's still an active Methodist. And, and in a classic display of uh, trumpery, um, the trumpeter of self, I like to call yes. him, recent, <laughs> recently um, suggested, as he so often does, that you know, we really don't know a lot about Hillary's religion. Uh, when it comes to information on Hillary's uh, religion, uh, religious beliefs, quote, there's nothing out there. So just to sort of test this, you know, <laughs> content-free assertion, um, <laughs> I just Googled Hillary, Hillary Clinton Methodist and got over 500,000 hits, uh, including a major piece in Time magazine, uh, 2014, talking about her upbringing in the Methodist Church and how much it shaped her and how much she values it. Um, now, I realize Time is kind of an obscure publication that <laughs> Trump may not have read, but um, anybody who's followed Hillary Clinton knows that that's that that her United Methodism is a uh, very much part of who she is. Yeah, you, she you, doesn't talk about it. She doesn't really believe in trumpeting it. She she just quietly acts on it. As do a lot of, of, as you say, a lot of voters. You know, he did the same thing to Carson. Oh, yeah. He, he said that, because um, Carson is Seventh-day Adventist, right right? right? right, And all he said, is, the way he talks about things he wants to criticize, he, 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 has, he does have this way, or all he has to say, I don't know anything about them. Right. Yeah. Nobody really seems to know anything about this. They could be fine. They could be fine. Yeah, but, just throw that little doubt Yeah, but out I'm a Presbyterian. You can't get much more mainstream than that. that yeah. That's a, a very good paraphrase of what he said. Right. Uh, uh, which, 
you know, just casting the suspicion. I don't know, just throwing it out there. Day you know? Why do they go to church on Saturday? What's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to during the Sundays. During the <laughs> and he thinks the Bible is very important. He said it is the book. It is the thing. You know, it just he, he has a way with a phrase. He he does. He really does. Um, one of the things that we see. And this is this was discussed at uh, at the conference at the Council on Foreign Relations, the, the the refugee issue, and how religion plays into that. So first of all, of course, religion has a significant role in that. The vast majority of of refugees that we would be taking in from Syria are Muslim, mm-hmm. right. All right. right. So, so what does that mean? Well, it could mean almost nothing. It could mean that a few more mosques will probably be built in the next few years to accommodate them. It means that a handful of them will probably convert to Christianity. A handful of them will probably become non-religious. You know, all of the different things that happen when a religious community is introduced into a particular society. Uh, but how we accept them is always the question. And I... Uh, wrote that column that you edited that appeared in the press Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. uh, recently where I was thrilled to be able to say to a group of people who were kind of throwing their hands up and saying, what do we do about the the fact that there's this Islamophobia that is hindering our ability to resettle refugees, most of whom are women and children who Mm -hmm. will benefit this country and are not secret ISIS agents, right? Mm -hmm. And when I told them about being proactive about having our uh, uh, year of interfaith understanding, our year of interfaith service, it was kind of like, oh, people are doing something mm-hmm, somewhere. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, you can't wait, right, un- until, until, the, until the refugees are knocking on your door, until you have a crisis before you start to do whatever it is you're, you're going to do to remedy the situation. What is your uh, take, Ben, on on the whole the whole question of refugees uh, and and how um, how they're being accepted here, how you, the resistance that you mm-hmm. see, and uh, we could talk about Europe's issue with them as well because yeah. they're they're in the game. Yeah, yeah, and and the the Brexit vote in England, mm-hmm. uh, I think, is a could be a precursor to what we could see here. People conflating their economic distress with these uh, immigrants coming in and saying that yeah, we don't want to be part of that. And um, so um, uh, I brought a, a uh, feature that the New York Times ran recently on Canada's embrace of refugees as a contrast where private citizens in Canada can sponsor refugees. They don't need to go through uh, agencies the way they do here. And people are pouring forth to host these families, to help them get jobs, find housing, get their kids an education. When you, when you say privately sponsored, does that actually mean bringing them into their homes specifically? Sometimes. Oh, okay. In their basements, setting them up with apartments, um, things like that. I was in Ottawa last December when the first uh, plane load of refugees landed in Toronto, and the, the, the papers had a pic- wonderful picture of Justin Trudeau uh, kneeling and smiling to a child and all these people waiting with winter coats, winter boots, passes to the museum, passes to the theater. Come on in. We love you. We want you to be part of us. What a contrast to the 
to the fear and paranoia that were are being actively cultivated here. I think. And, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's very true. It's interesting because I and I believe it's been mentioned on this program more than once that this this paranoia that you see that is really being shouted from the mountaintops by certain politicians, including Donald Trump, is is just, it's going to create more lone wolves. It's going mm-hmm, to draw mm-hmm. more people mm-hmm. to the Islamic State. Mm-hmm. The right. more they feel estranged from their own society, the more they feel that they're not really American. Well, if I'm not really American, what am I? Oh, right. I'm a member of the caliphate. If they're going to keep my brother and sister from visiting me here in America, what am I supposed to think about America? It it plays into their hands. It does. I think. It does. Well, God bless Canada. <laughs> I, oh, oh, Canada! I agree. Yeah. they're they're a nice nicer people. They're very compassionate, <laughs> and they're putting themselves out there to um, form relationships with these people and nurture them. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's so interesting because we are so much like them, you know, mm-hmm. ethnically, religiously, but somehow they occasionally do things that are bloody impressive, mm-hmm. and, and and we we need to learn from them. Absolutely, I agree. I agree. Yeah, uh, and and when you look at the rhetoric bre- at uh, Brexit, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you do see some of the same rhetoric here in the United States. Oh, yeah. At the same time, now that they've lost billions and billions of pounds, uh, I just read an article the other day that they're having uh, voters' remorse, or many oh, of yeah. them are. Yeah, they quoted a fishmonger the day after we <laughs> voted to leave, and he's like, what have we done? I didn't think it would really pass, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and now they're... Like, oh, maybe that wasn't so good, you know. It was a protest vote, you know, and there's the same yeah. thing, people feeling marginalized, and yeah. it's easy to look at that other person as the as the problem. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't get it. But, well, I shouldn't say that. I do get it. I yeah. do understand people are feeling frustrated. People, uh, 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 people who are in the majority, if you will, that is to say white, Christian, etc., they are now feeling like they are the marginalized ones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And a lot of it, I believe, does have to do with education. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that people who had college educations didn't vote for Brexit, but I believe that a lot of the people who did not, excuse me, who did, who supported Britain's exit of the EU, EU, were lower class jobs not feeling that they were empowered and not and and well and they were older and they were older that's right that's yeah. right yeah that that was a phenomenon actually we we have to uh, wrap up this edition of common threads charlie but this is a great conversation please join us next week and we will chat some more sounds good Still got to get to the Beatles, though. Yeah, we will. (laughs) You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. Charlie Honey has been my guest, and we will keep this up next week here on WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, 
its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. I'm Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we began a conversation with Charlie Honey. If you're from West Michigan area, you might remember him as the columnist and uh, writer and editor at the Grand Rapids Press Religion Section. He has moved on in life. He's now working as a reporter for the Kent Intermediate School District. But He's still a friend, a colleague, very active in interfaith activities. So last week we talked about religion and the election, and we've decided to continue that conversation. Charlie, welcome back. Thanks, Fred. Great to be here. So when we left off last week, we were talking about immigration, and there was still more to be said. Uh, So I want to pick it up there. Uh, The religious community here in West Michigan has always been just an amazing force to be reckoned with when it comes to resettling refugees. Tell me about your experience, and I would imagine a lot of the experience happened when you were writing for the press. Absolutely. So when I was religion editor uh, of the press, which was um, 1994 to 2009, there was a tremendous influx of Bosnian refugees, um, almost entirely Muslim, uh, and the Catholic Church was extremely active in helping to uh, those people to find lives here, just as the Reformed Church had been in the 1970s with people from Vietnam, and um, over the years, others coming from uh, Africa and the Middle East. Um, I just spoke with a woman, um, West Michigan uh, Refugee Cultural and Education Center. Uh, they helped acclimate uh, families and children to this area, and they're seeing an increase right now uh, of, uh, of refugees as a result of uh, the raised ceiling that uh, the Obama administration uh, approved last year of 10,000 more refugees coming into the country this year. So many of those people are coming to West Michigan, people from Somalia, people from Congo, some from Afghanistan, from, from, some from Syria. And this is just uh, continuing um, – a very long tradition in West Michigan of the faith community playing a very active role in helping people to get a foothold in America. And they don't demand that they convert, you know, that they respect whatever faith they come in with for the most part. And so Koreans and Vietnamese and um, Central Americans uh, have all benefited from that. And, you know, there's a, as you know, there's a, a 
a great deep tradition of welcoming the stranger in um, in uh, Christian, uh, Jewish, and uh, Muslim literature, uh, holy texts. Uh, the idea that uh, you were once a stranger in your land, and you should treat the stranger uh, now as one of your own. Exactly. And it, it goes also to the Christian teaching of love your neighbor as yourself. Well, these are our, our new neighbors. Uh, let me tell you one experience. I, I'm not sure if you know this or not. I, I don't think you were at this particular event. There, there is one agency in town, uh, and this young woman was working for uh, a, a, a a social agency, a, a Christian social agency that helps in uh, resettling refugees. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there was this one woman, uh, very, very ambitious to do the right thing. And she was a part of our 2012, our 2015 Year of Interfaith Service. And she came to a lot of the meetings. And her goal was to educate the people in her agency more deeply about the religious traditions of the refugees, whatever, wherever they were coming from, mm-hmm, whatever religion. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she wanted our help. She wanted Interfaith Dialogue Association's help and Kaufman's help in doing this. And so she tried to create a, a, a breakfast where uh, different religious leaders would be introduced to the agency and the other churches that supported this agency and all of this. But that that role, her her role in that, she was usurped by someone else mm-hmm. for I don't for whatever reason I don't know the internals of it. But bottom line is, a few of us from the interfaith community did show up at this breakfast, and they brought in this pastor from Detroit, and essentially his message. He gave the keynote at that breakfast, and his message was, "Hey, guess what." We don't have to go out into the world to find disciples. They're coming to us. Let's grab them. <laughs> it was so offensive. Oh, my. And, and this, this young woman who tried so hard to create the opposite. <laughs> right. Breakfast, right. Right. You know, I, I, at, at, the end, at the end, I walked up to her, and she was like almost hiding, like, mm. oh, don't even look at me. And I said, you know what? Look, all I know is... You gave me a free breakfast and you validated my parking. <laughs> That's all I ask for in life. Really, really. And I appreciate what you were trying to do. But to speak to what you were saying, that is, you are more correct than, than otherwise. Uh, I remember speaking to a gentleman you certainly know, Imam Moaz Redzik, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who is uh, one of the spiritual leaders uh, for the Bosnian Muslim community. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, when, when the Bosnians came in, or since the Bosnians have come in, and they've been in for how, how long? I mean, since the, the early mid-90s. 90s. Yeah, early yeah, yeah. 90s, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep, yep, yep. I said, what have you seen in terms of conversion to Christianity? And he looked at me uh, like, like, what an odd question to ask. Mm-hmm, it's like, mm-hmm. almost none. Mm-hmm. So I think that a lot of it has to do with how strong that community is in their own faith. Right. You know. Now, at the same time, uh, the Bhutanese community, which tends to be Hindu, they've, they've had to deal with a little bit more conversion, but they, when they came in, they weren't as organized. Uh, they did not have... A mosque. They mm-hmm. did not have a, 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 as strong a community 
but still, the the vast majority of Bhutanese who came in as Hindu are are maintaining their Hindu identity. Uh, the Burmese. Actually, a lot of the Burmese are Christian to begin with, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. the same way that when the Vietnamese came in, a lot of the Vietnamese were already Christian of one stripe or another. Right. Yeah. So, so your point is well taken, that, that while it's true, Christian agencies, they love it when they see people convert, but I don't think that there's a strong-arm tactic. No, me. I'm not seeing that. Um, I mean, I know it happens. Uh, I'm, clear, I'm, I'm sure that it happens, but mainly what I see is a sort of an unconditional love uh, reaching out to these people. The young man I mentioned last week from Iraq who just got his uh, high school diploma from Union High School, well, his family was sponsored by a church in Grand Rapids along with about four other Muslim families. And they, the, the family spoke just effusively about the hospitality and the love shown to them uh, by these, uh, Christian, uh, these Christian sponsors uh, with no hint of, uh, you know, a, a, a quid pro quo, quo in terms of uh, – being more uh, being more open to Christianity, so I think that uh, there is this very strong tra- tradition in West Michigan, in particular, of reaching out to the stranger. You know, um, Jesus says in Matthew twenty five, "I was a stranger, and you invited me in." You know, that's a biblical teaching, and I think to play on people's fears, which are understandable. You know, San Bernardino, you know, those things have happened. Um, you know, but. Uh, I, you know, a woman from uh, one of these families that helped sponsor the Iraqis said, you know, I'd rather take my chances on, on something bad happening and show the love of Christ to these people than to just shut them all out because they're desperate. You know, the interesting thing is we have what I believe is a rational fear. Mm-hmm. There's a rational fear, and then yeah. there's an irrational fear. Yeah. So yeah, the, to have a rational fear of terrorist activity is not Islamophobic. It, it just isn't. Right? right, right. But what's interesting is, so for instance, she says that she's willing to take her chance. Good mm-hmm. point. God bless her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But let's say this person was a refugee from some African country mm-hmm. where... Uh, 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 radical jihadism is not an issue. Right. Okay, maybe it's a dictatorship, secular dictatorship, whatever. Isn't she still taking a chance that something bad could happen? Oh, sure. That that person could go nuts and do something vile. We tend to fear uh, terrorist activity, jihadist terror activity, activity, more than we do other forms of violence. And so there's much more, mm-hmm. uh, you'll, you'll hear much more fire and brimstone uh, uh, about Orlando or about California, San, Bener- San Bernardino, than you will North, uh, was it, no, South Carolina. South Carolina with oh. Dylan Roof. Oh. Okay. Now, now, of course, Dylan Roof, he killed nine people as opposed to 49 people. But... He probably would have killed forty nine people if he had the opportunity. Oh, absolutely! He would have killed as as long as he could have kept going. Absolutely, that school, right? But and and so we we tend to have this fear of terrorism, of right. jihadist terrorism, more than other other things. So you're you're taking your your life in your hand, not your life in your hands. You're taking a risk, whatever it is you do. You're taking a risk crossing the street, for God's sakes. So. Her point is well taken. Well, and and 
when it comes to that, I mean, I, I personally have more anxiety about um, the uh, the lone wolf, uh, <laughs> you know, American mass shooters uh, breaking out at some at some school or mall in in Grand Rapids than I do about a terrorist attack. I mean, the the damage is is comparable and yes when you look at mass shootings many more there have been many more of those uh, by non-muslim non-jihadist terrorists in america than, that's my point and and so that's a more rational fear to me yes um so uh yeah i i think that those fears are being exploited in a, in a real cheap way in this election especially when you're showing love and compassion to someone uh, such as bringing in this this uh kid from iraq and, right and, uh, yeah that. I, I I don't believe he, he is certainly not going to be a candidate for an ISIS website. Well, he yeah. he deplores what's happening in Iraq. Of course he ISIS. does. He yeah. hates those people. Yeah. yeah. Um and and these Syrians coming across hate those people because they've destroyed their lives. And so, you know, is yeah. there a possibility somebody might pose as a Syrian refugee to do harm? Yeah, sure, but most of these people are just desperate and desperately seeking our our help and and yeah, and 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 the vast majority are women and children. You know? They are. So what are you, What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, on another subject, we've been talking about uh, the presidential election and all of that, but I have to ask you, since we're here, uh, um, you do a Beatles presentation, uh, the spirituality of the Beatles. You've been doing it for years. Do you have anything coming up? Are you Are you teaching that in any of the uh, in any of the schools, any of the lifelong learning, am I? Uh, I don't have any. I don't have anything scheduled right now. Uh, I did write write a series of essays on Beatles uh, spiritual content. Oh, you for did for a uh, public an online publication called Read the Spirit. It's published by David Crum, former religion writer for the Detroit Free Press. Mm. And that was uh, a lot of fun. Um, I was going to give a Beatles presentation uh, to a gathering of Christian Reformed uh, ministry leaders, but a toothache uh, uh, scotched the program. My toothache. <laughs> it was. It was a, uh, a, a, a. That was a little bit ago, wasn't it? It was a little bit ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was not able to make it. So no, that remains a very uh, deep interest of mine. I, I continue to find new levels of meaning meaning in their songs. And on the topic that we're about, I mean, it sounds naive in retrospect, but the idea of all you need is love, love is a universal force, was a very global idea that they espoused. And I think, uh, uh, you know, a theology and a political um, culture based on love more than fear is is a healthier way to go. I I often look at the Beatles as carriers. That Hmm. is to say... They had this profound, and continue even even through uh, uh, Paul and Ringo, they, they had this ability to communicate aspirationally where we should be. They weren't always there themselves. Sometimes they were really, really <laughs> far away from where they should be themselves. But they had this ability to implant in other people, at least aspirationally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the the power of love, the power of of an inner spirituality, even if they wouldn't even use that word, you know, right? They they they, right? And they spoke to us in ways that really touched us and continue to touch us. Mm-hmm. You know, reach some of the best parts of ourselves 
And as I think as many of us have gone through life and seen changes in our lives, those songs speak to us in new ways. You know, the the song yesterday can can now be seen in a much different light than when I was 25 or when Paul was 24, I believe, when he wrote it. Yeah. You know, you're not just talking about a love affair. You're talking about a life, you know, and regrets you may have about your life. And, um, yeah, they, they, they were, I don't know if they were divinely appointed messengers, but they certainly were um, in the right place at the right time in the right era to speak to us clearly, in that way. Clearly, clearly. And, and Abel, I think what fascinates a lot of people, well, first of all, before I make that point, I will let people know that uh, you're listening to WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella. This is Common Threads, and I'm talking to Charlie Honey today about uh, the election, about spirituality, and all things Beatles, as we have a hard time not doing. Um, but the fact that they did grow in that way where, where you know, in 1964, 65, you could say the Beatles and Herman's Hermits and the Dave Clark Five all in the same breath, uh, you know, and the, 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 you know, name the monkeys, right? <laughs> you could say them all in the same breath. Well, the monkeys, you wouldn't say that until 1966, but regardless. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, they, they, they slowly progressed in this, in, in this direction that was mm-hmm. just astounding. Right. And, 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 and a lot of us had to rethink our, our affiliation with them. I, I mean, I did. I mean, I remember when, when all of a sudden things started sounding a little bit weird. Uh-huh. You know, I, I was not. I was not the first person on my block to go out and buy I Am the Walrus. I got to tell you. <laughs> you know, you're. I was. I was well, that person. Fall, fall, fall. <laughs> <laughs> I was already a disciple. But no, they challenged us for sure. They challenged us. And, you know, the thing that I think it's easy to forget about them because they were so famous and so rich, um, you know, is the world that they came from. You know, uh, they were born in, you know, mid-1940s Liverpool, which was heavily bombed during the war, and they used to play in the the rubble of, of bomb wreckage as kids. They grew up in these very hard realities of what violence and warfare can do to people and hatred. And out of that, they fashioned this sort of, you know, secular theology of love. It wasn't fear your neighbor, you know. It wasn't go over to Vietnam and, <clears throat> you know, kick kick their butts. It was very much a pacifist, love-based uh, secular theology, and it was rooted in the realities, very hard realities of uh, World War II and what that did to, to their city and their country. So there was and the hard scrabble there. life of of yeah. Liverpool, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they were not John Lennon was middle class sort of, but they they were not well off families that they grew up in. So I, I always respected that, that they were able to rise to that vision. Like you say, they never they. They fell short when it came to some of their more mundane, worldly affairs. But the the big vision that they maintained to the end was very, I think, inspirational. Yeah, certainly. I, I mean, you you can take a look at uh, uh, all of the figures, say, in American Christianity, who fell tremendously short mm-hmm. of of their of their image, but. 
they continue to inspire people. They continued. They, they may not have turned their lives around, but they helped turn other people's lives around. Right. And there's something to that. Oh yeah. You know the same thing. I talked to <laughs> I talked to people who ended up following gurus who became seduced by the West and uh, all of its glitter. Mm-hmm. And some of them. You know, they, they retain this anger that they were duped and that uh, now they have nothing to do with religion. But there are others that say, okay, yeah, I, I did think that this, that this particular person was more spiritually elevated than, than he was. But the teachings, I believe, were still true. And, you know, that has influenced me to the good. And now I know what not to look for in a spiritual teacher, mm, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. So there's, there's a little bit of forgiveness there. And, and I, so yeah, that, that kind of correlates with what we're talking about. And when, you know, when Paul comes to Grand Rapids in uh, August 15th, I think it is, mm-hmm. you and I will be hearing the concert and there will be a lot of people like us, our age, and we'll be tearing up and dancing along, but there will be teenagers I know. and little kids and they'll be jumping up and down with glee you know that the music and the message continues to resonate i think that's been the the test of the beatles is that they've they've continued to be extremely uh persuasive to younger listeners as well as uh, clearly those who grew up with them clearly uh and so you you say that at the moment you don't have any classes scheduled but that is something that you're still open to doing i'm still open to doing it and i've done classes on um uh, my book, Faith on First, which includes some musical selections, uh-huh. including one on Paul and Bob Dylan and others. So uh, I'm, I'm teaching a class there at um, – well, I'm, I'm going to be scheduling a class there uh, in the spring at Calvin College at their call program. So um, I, I continue to do those things. I, I enjoy it a lot. And, you know, you'd never have to twist my arm to talk about the Beatles. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Same here. <laughs> yeah. Or baseball, by the way. I'll do that, Yeah, too. I know. I, I yeah. do know that that is, that is a great love of yours as well. Sure. Yeah, sure. You're a well-rounded kind of guy. Well. That's right. If two things Not as to well, mention <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> Dick Van Dyke. Oh, yes. Dick Van Dyke and... The Twilowites, oh yeah, that's, you can't beat that. No, that's what that's what you got to do. You got to you got to do a a class on the spirituality of the original <laughs> Dick Van Dyke show. <laughs> Who did Dick represent? Was he the Christ figure, uh-huh. or was it Maury? No, wait a minute, he's Jewish. Wait a minute, Jesus was Jewish. Yes, it's Maury. <laughs> so you think like that falling over the the ottoman there at the opening scene? Is there some sacrificial thing going on there? <laughs> It could be. Wow. Yeah. We, we, we could waste another half hour just talking. Alan Brady was a sort of an angry god. Yes, yes, yes. An ang- angry Hebrew sky god. That's it. Very much so. Very much so. I, I, yeah, that's right. He could, be, he could be Old Testament and Rob would be New Testament. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> We're going to have to team teach this one, Fred. <laughs> Oh, uh, let's let's circle back. We just have a few more minutes, right. but let's circle back uh, uh, to the election, and because that's where we started the election and, and religion. I wanted to tell you one thing uh, that we've been talking about Mr. Trump quite a bit because well, you can't talk about the election without talking about him. When we were at the the uh, Council on Foreign Relations. And we had these subjects, okay, so it was um, it was the election in the media, it was the the mig- uh, migration refugee crisis, and the um, 
Sub-Saharan Africa, the democratization, uh, and uh, there was one other. I feel like Rick Perry now. (laughs) (laughs) You don't look like him. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, all four of the important subjects we covered, the common thread, if you will, was Donald Trump. Oh, okay. And and how he would affect, if he was elected, how yeah. he would affect the immigration uh, refugee crisis, democratization in sub-Saharan Africa. If you can believe that, yeah. how, how how he would enter the conversation there, but he did. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then of course, well, the, the the media, of course, that was that goes without saying. I, I just found it fascinating, and there were people from. From right to left and everything in between, mm-hmm. there were conservatives, there were progressives, but there was a common concern amongst everyone there, mm-hmm. and, and I find that I find that quite fascinating. And these are people. This remember, this was a religious conference. The the the, the vast majority of the people there were either clergy or academicians whose specialty was religious studies and theology. Mm-hmm. Oh. I, I, I believe me, I was quite humbled. I was the only one there without a book. <laughs> I mean, I'm meaning, you see, you would have been, you have a book. I don't mean just like holding a book. I mean oh, actually I see. written a book. Right. Yes. So you walk into a conversation at the, at the uh, uh, reception, and everybody's talking about their book. Mm-hmm. So Fred, what is your book? Uh, hamana, hamana, hamana. <laughs> oh, look, a dog. I mean. <laughs> wow. You just haven't gotten tears yet. That's all, uh, Fred. It's not on my bucket list, I'll tell you that. Um, but, but regardless, I just find that it, it is fascinating that, that people from a variety of, of uh, uh, stations in life, business uh, uh, stations in, in business or labor, and people of faith are all sort of banding together right now and mm-hmm. saying, what is going on mm-hmm. in, in, in there is concern. It's an all we've bets. Never, we've never had this before. No, it's an all bets are off uh, moment, it seems to me. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of what goes on around Trump, first of all, he's a novelty act. He's, you know, he, he's, he's the flashy thing you can't take your eyes off of. But, you know, he appeals so strongly to the emotions of anger and fear. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people are fearful. A lot of people are angry. It's how do you respond to the things that, you, that, that make you feel that way? What is your approach, and is it going to come? Are you going to come back with love? Can you do that, or or do you have to put up the walls? You know, and I think it's a it's a moment we're trying to figure out. We seem to be living in two different worlds here in the same country. You know, who are we, and how can we how can we come back together? Can we? How can we? How can we hold the center here? I don't think that it would be a partisan thing to say, and it sounds partisan, but I don't think it is, because I think we could probably get enough Republican strategists to back me up on this, mm-hmm. that the Republicans have been dealing with fear as, as their motivation for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Donald has just uh, jumped the shark, as we say, mm-hmm. in terms of, of really creating that. But, you know, you think about back to the, the second Bush campaign when all of a sudden we, we had these orange terrorist alerts more mm-hmm. often than not, mm-hmm. especially right before the election. All of a sudden, the right. terror level was going up to orange or red or purple or magenta. I, I forget the color code. And but, isn't it interesting that Trump exudes an orange aura? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, we have that. Charlie, we are out of time right now, but one thing I didn't do last week, I want to do this week, 
You mentioned you mentioned your writing on the web. If people are interested mm-hmm. in what's inside the head of Charlie Honey, mm-hmm. where do they go on the internet machine? Schoolnewsnetwork.org. What is it? Schoolnewsnetwork.org. It's a website. We cover the 20 school districts of Kent County and what's going on with students and teachers and lots of other fun things. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming down uh, today and last week as well. It's been fun. Oh, it's been great. I've enjoyed it. We'll see you at the van. Uh, we will. We're going to rock out that night, yeah. Fred. <laughs> <laughs> this is Common Threads. I'm Fred Stella. This is WGVU-FM. And please join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.